Who is God? And what is God like? And what's this business about the Trinity? Thank you for tuning in to this special theology edition of Consider It. I'm Blair Cushman, the lead pastor at Redemption Bible Church. Today we're going to examine a new section of our doctrinal statement. And it's our hope that as you listen, your mind will be sharpened, your heart will be stirred, and your hands will be strengthened to love God and one another more fully. On this episode, we examine our statement on the triune God. To read it for yourself or to find out more about what we believe, you can find our doctrinal statement online at redemption.bible. Today we begin with the uh, statement, our statement on the Trinity or the triune God. And it says this, I'll read it for you now. We believe in the one living and true God, eternally existing in perfect unity as three equally and fully divine persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, each member of the Godhead, while executing distinct but complementary roles in redemptive history, has precisely the same nature, attributes, and being, and is equally worthy of the same glory and honor and obedience. Now that's a mouthful, isn't it? And that's really precisely what the Trinity is. Uh, As we think about who God is and who he has revealed himself to be in the scriptures, it is not only a mouthful to say, but also a uh, kind of a mind-blowing thought to think about. Um, And that's good. That's right. It's ultimately what makes God uh, distinct and unique. It's what makes him set apart. It's what makes him holy. God is not like us humans, us as men and women on this earth. He is a unique being. And so uh, when we begin with saying that God is a trinity, he is a triune God, this is a uh, big task to begin to uh, understand and uh, therefore explain. And so um, let's begin with the scriptures and uh, looking at what the scriptures teach as we kind of tackle this uh, statement that we have and believe and hold to at Redemption Bible Church. And so we say we believe in the one living and true God eternally existing in perfect unity. And so uh, we see this all across the scriptures. God has revealed himself. There is one God, right? There is uh, no one like our God. God is unique among all other little g gods. There is none above him, none beside him, none before him. He is uh, a unique God. You're probably familiar with this uh, verse in Deuteronomy 6, uh, verse 4, that says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Right there, uh, uh, clear as we can say it, the Lord is one. He is one being. He is alive. He is true. He is our God. And yet, the 
nature of this statement is also uh, to uh, to say that uh, not only is the Lord one and unified, not only is he alive and eternally existing, he also exists as three uh, unique persons or individuals, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And just so you know, as we uh, uh, continue in this theology editions of these uh, um, of, of the podcast here, the next three statements are going to be um, uh, more, uh, they're going to hone in on each one. So next one will be on God the Father, and then on God the Son, and God the Spirit. And so as you're listening to this and you want more explanation on each one, just stay tuned, listen to another podcast, and uh, um, and you can uh, get more precise teaching on the roles and um, uh, of each member of the triune God. But for the sake of today, uh, we're just going to hone in on the nature of their trinity. And so, where do we see this in Scripture? Where do we uh, begin? Well, uh, this statement that he's eternally existing uh, begins first chapter, first verse, first book of the Bible, Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God. Not in the beginning, the sun, as in the bright, fiery, flaming orb that's in our solar system. Uh, in the beginning, God. Not in the beginning, humans. Not in the beginning, matter or mass. No, God is the one who is eternally existing. God is the one who is on the scene. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He has always existed and will always exist for all of eternity. And that really in itself is a mind-blowing concept to think about. And yet, it isn't just one God. Um, what's really interesting, as you continue reading in uh, the first chapter of Genesis, God, um, as you probably know, each day he begins to create. God speaks, and into existence uh, comes things like light and darkness and water and the earth and animals. And, um, and then we get to verse 26, and we see uh, some unique language. Uh, honestly, some language that maybe is missed in English, but in Genesis 1, 26, it says, Then God said, Let us, interesting, make man in our image after our likeness. Now, if you're just reading through the Bible, you know, and kind of rapidly, one verse at a time, you might easily look over, but um, as we believe each word is inspired by God, um, each word is uh, necessary. And so as we stop and pause and think about this, Genesis 1.26, God said, let us. We see plural language here, that there is already, uh, right from the get-go, this indication of there being plurality within the Godhead. Let us make man in our image, in our our likeness. So right from the get-go, here's this glimpse into uh, this plurality. And as the scripture begins to unfold, um, we begin to get more clarity on this issue. And this is actually a really important uh, place to mention this. There is a progressive nature to the revelation of God throughout the scriptures. It is uh, full and complete, as we saw in a previous podcast, uh, what we have in our 66 books of the Bible. Um, and yet, uh, everything about God is not revealed in the first chapter. 
Um, as we begin to read and study throughout the scriptures, things begin to become more clear as God in his wisdom reveals more about himself to other writers of scripture and, and therefore we have the benefit of reading it uh, now. And so some uh, who do not believe in the existence of the Trinity would argue you never see the word Trinity in the scripture. Well, that's okay. That doesn't necessarily make it untrue just because a specific word that we use to describe the triune nature of God uh, isn't itself in the Bible. That doesn't mean that it is untrue. And so while you won't see the word Trinity in the scripture, you see the traces and the revelation of it all throughout the scriptures. And so we don't have time necessarily in this to, uh, to look at them all. I would suggest getting a good systematic theology book like uh, Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology or John MacArthur um, and uh, uh, his newer one called Biblical Doctrine. There are some great uh, uh, fuller, more systematic explanations of these things in all of our statements. Honestly, you could go to any of those books, but there you will find more references, and we're going to uh, come to some of the other ones uh, throughout the nature uh, or throughout the, the this episode here. And so uh, we have uh, we see it at the beginning, and then in the New Testament, particularly this this concept be- begins to come even more clear as God the Son comes on the uh, the scene in human flesh. And yet, even in the book of Genesis, you have uh, the angel of the Lord appear. And some mysterious figures um, here, which uh, could very likely be um, uh, the pre-incarnate Christ, God the Son, uh, appearing and coming to earth um, in uh, kind of these uh, special uh, manifestations of himself. You see the Holy Spirit come on, uh, the the workers of the temple as the people of Israel um go into, well, leave their slavery in uh, captivity to Egypt and and begin to build the tabernacle. Um, and then the temple later, uh, throughout Israel's history, the Spirit of God comes on, uh, people specially anointing them, specially empowering them for the skills and uh, the, the abilities necessary to build that for the worship of God. And so you see these glimpses throughout the Old Testament, but then in the New Testament, it, uh, it really comes on the scene. In Matthew chapter 3, uh, when Jesus is being baptized, you see the appearance of all three members of the Trinity. And this is really significant here. Now God the Son has been born. We know the story. God the Son has been born uh, of a virgin uh, from Mary, born of the Holy Spirit, and as he then uh, grows up and becomes a man and begins his uh, earthly ministry, he then comes to John the Baptizer in Matthew 3, verse 13, to be baptized. Listen to these verses here. This is Matthew 3, verse 13 through 17. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. When Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, 
And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. That's Matthew three thirteen through 17. And so what do we have in this picture? Jesus is beginning his earthly ministry, and we have God the Son, recognized here by God the Father, the voice from heaven, and also this uh, dove, uh, who is a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. All three members of the Trinity at this very significant moment in human history as God the Son would begin his uh, really specific redemptive ministry to uh, save and accomplish redemption for, uh, for us, for sinful humanity. And so now we get this here. It's like, boom, pictured. It's on the scene. And throughout Jesus' life, he begins to teach, uh, specifically through John, about his unity with God the Father. He speaks and teaches in uh, John 14 and 16 about the work and the deity of the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 5, uh, when uh, the, after the birth of the church and the Holy Spirit has come upon a uh, the apostles and uh, the many that are gathered in Acts 2 later is the church is being formed and uh, the dis- the disciples or the apostles there are building the church and teaching. Um, uh, you know the story, Ananias and Sapphira, they come and they withhold things from, uh, from the church they, um, and they lie about it. And in verse 4, uh, when he's being confronted... Um, by uh, Peter, sorry, by Peter, I'm looking it up here, it says this, while it, it remained unsold, did you not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. And what's significant about that is because in the just a few sentences before he, Peter's confronting and says, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? And now here, just a clear reference to the deity of the Holy Spirit or the fact that the Holy Spirit is himself. Uh, God is a member of the triune God. And so uh, you, you just get glimpses of this. You see it in um, as, as Jesus is ascending um, and uh, he leaves his uh, uh, disciples there in Matthew 28. Also, just going back a little bit, he refers to uh, the, uh, you see all the members of the Trinity in the um in his great commissioning, the mission of the church. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the, get this, Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. All mentioned there. Paul mentions all members of the Trinity in his last verse to the uh, Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 13, 14. Um, all of them are mentioned. So he says the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And so as, again, here, why do we go through uh, many of these verses is just for the, make the case that the scriptures teach the triune nature of the one God uh, in a unfolding 
or progressive nature uh, throughout the pages of Scripture. Really, uh, there's so much evidence that uh, it really can't be denied, even if we can't fully describe it or fully understand it. And, and like I said, that's really okay. That's okay. So, we've looked at the scriptures. Well, let's just uh, continue to take the statements uh, apart and look at these a little bit. So, we've talked about the, the there's one God. He's eternally existing. He's three equally but fully divine persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, each member of the Godhead, while executing distinct but complementary roles in redemptive history, has precisely the same natures, attributes, and beings, and is equally worthy of the same glory and honor and obedience. And so, uh, really what you can boil that down to is, uh, is three statements. And uh, Wayne Grudem makes a great, uh, uh, simple, kind of three-point uh, summary of what the Scripture teaches on the Trinity. And, and it goes like this. God is three persons. It's number one. Number two, each person is fully God. And number three, there is one God. All three of those statements are true about who God is and work together. And so we said God is three persons. We know who they are, and they have distinct roles. The Father uh, ordains, the, uh, the Son uh, executes, and the Holy Spirit applies the working of, uh, of their collective will together. Um, they're just kind of in broad categories, uh, if, you, uh, if you will. Um, but each is uh, three distinct persons that show up in three distinct and at the same times. It's not right to say that, uh, you know, that there's one God and he manifests himself in a different way at different times. As in, like when God is the Father ruling in heaven, the, he is not existing at the same time as God the Son or God the Holy Spirit. Or when God is the Holy Spirit moving among people, he is not the son or father. Like uh, to say that, um, you, to use the illustration of like uh, H2O or water mo molecules that um, that exists in three um, different states. You have solid state like ice or liquid state like water or a gas state in, uh, in the steam and the air that water exists in. Well, it can't be the same molecules can't exist all at the same time. And so while that can be a helpful like illustration to kind of understand the nature of the Trinity, it really breaks down because the same molecule can't be existing in the same way at the same time. Um, and so, uh, so God isn't like water per se. Um, nor is, uh, uh, you know, another kind of helpful illustration would be like, well, I'm Blair Cushman, um, and uh, I'm a dad to my children. I'm a son to my father. I'm a husband to my wife. I'm a friend to a few people. I'm a pastor to others. Um, you know, I have these different roles, and that's a kind of a helpful way to understand it, and yet uh, even that breaks down in, in some ways um, because it doesn't fully capture all of who God is existing as different people but, in, uh, uh, but still being the one God. Um, so helpful, but not always, uh, not always the, the best. And this really, again, describes the uniqueness of who God is, the holiness of God. Which, which also leads us to thinking through this. Well, every member of the Trinity possesses the divine attributes of God. 
there are lots of great books out there in the uh, previously mentioned uh, systematic theologies. Uh, there are other just books on the uh, the attributes of of God. Um, a. W. Tozer has a has a great one. Um, uh, Chip Ingram has one that I read a, a long time ago. I think the title is called God as He Longs for You to See Him. Uh, fantastic book. John MacArthur has a book on worship, and even several of the chapters in there are just on the attributes of God, knowing that uh, to fully worship God uh, truly and rightfully, authentically and genuinely, we must have a right view of who God is. And so uh, every member of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, is omniscient meaning knows all things, is omnipotent, is meaning has all power. It's un, they are unlimited in their power. They are holy. They are loving. They are just. Uh, they are gracious and merciful. All three, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, shares these divine attributes and yet are unique in their roles, in are unique in their relationship with humanity and how they interact with us. Um, the Holy Spirit uh, interacts with uh, us as believers in a way different than Christ does and the Father does. And again, we'll get into those nuances um, in, uh, in, in uh, greater detail in uh, coming episodes on, on each of the members of the Trinity. But uh, for now, it's just uh, it's good to know that they are distinct in their workings. They are distinct in their roles, and all of them complement one another. All three are necessary. All three um, are, are equal in their uh, authority, uh, all equal in their um, in 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 their necessity um, for relating to humanity, even if there is uh, subordination uh, among them, and so uh, there is the Father um, is kind of governing over all in his role, um, and Christ is subject or flows from the Father uh, in the same way that the Holy Spirit flows from the Son and the Father. And that um, it is not uh, contrary or contradicting to say that uh, even though there is subordination among them, that they are somehow unequal then as, uh, as divine beings. And so uh, this it, you know, is, is actually kind of a concept that is uh, under a lot of scrutiny in our culture. Um, and seeing the, the subordination within roles um, uh, or headship as, uh, as somehow making another person uh, unequal or uh, somehow lesser than. And we uh, take uh, our cues even in human relationships, even uh, in the uniqueness of genders, as uh, we glean our understanding and our biblical uh, uh, perspectives on uh, human relationships and marriage relationships and relationships within the church governance from the Trinity. In the same way that they are equal and, uh, and worthy of glory, um, 
worthy of honor, worthy of obedience in the same way that they possess a similar nature and attributes and worth uh, um, in the Godhead, um, and yet have different roles, different responsibilities, different ways of relating with one another is the same way that men and women uh, interact with one another in marriage the same way that uh, the church is structured as an organism from the living God with Jesus being the head of the church and uh, elders being under shepherds under Christ to lead and govern the church in uh, matters of life and doctrine and discipleship and purity and so this is, this is important. It's an important concept for us to get our minds wrapped around and to be clear on in that God is three persons. Each person is fully God, and yet there is one God. And even though we can't untangle all of those knots, that's not to say that they are contradictory. And so we see this in Scripture. We see the... Uh, the um, We've kind of made sense logically as best as we can, and we've seen a bit of why this is important. Why is our understanding of the Trinity uh, uh, an important uh, doctrine for us to have a statement on? Well, our salvation depends upon it. As we'll see in a coming statement again on salvation, that each member of the Trinity uh, has a very profound, unique, and necessary role in us being saved, in us being uh, declared right with God. And uh, remove any one of them, not just Jesus. I mean, obviously Jesus gets kind of the the spotlight in our salvation because he's the one that executed it. Um, not in that he killed himself, but uh, but that he came to earth and did the hard work. He accomplished the mission by dying on our behalf. And yet the Father sent him. The Father ordained it. The Father uh, turned his face away. The Father... Uh, rightly judged our sin and declared uh, us right or righteous uh, and the Holy Spirit is uh, still even to this day applying that work effectively on uh, the hearts of those whom God the Father chose before the foundation of the world and so our understanding of the Trinity is very important to our salvation and as I said, it's also very important to uh, our human relationships and roles where we take our cues for how we relate to one another in the marriage and uh, in uh, the church from our understanding of the Trinity. And so uh, what do we say? Well, God is one. All members of the Trinity are God, and yet they are distinct and unique Persons. If I was uh, before you with a whiteboard, I might draw uh, one of those uh, kind of three-orbed-looking uh, 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 symbols that you've seen, and uh, that uh, that is a great uh, kind of visual concept of the Trinity, with being three distinct and yet overlapping uh, uh, symbols all in one to define the Trinity. And so we love the Trinity. Um, we continue to uh, worship uh, all members uh, collectively and distinctly in our worship, uh, living in light and trying to understand each distinctly and yet all together in unity. 
Thank you for tuning in to this special theology edition of Consider It. Or to find out more about what we believe, you can find our doctrinal statement online at redemption.bible.